Welcome to Perfect Politics. I'm Sam Lindsay, and this is Milan Patel. And I'm speaking to you before today's episode because we fucked up. And we need to apologize. On behalf of Milan and myself, I'd like to apologize to George W. Bush. President Bush, we're sorry. Last episode, we insulted Bush's ability to fly an airplane, and I want to set the record straight. Uh, George Bush was a decorated first lieutenant in the Air Force, and uh, before he was president, he was a pilot. I mean, we should have known that he could fly a plane. He did do 9-11. Yeah, that's true. You know, this doesn't have to be perfect. It's not a... (laughs) No. We're not like a movie studio. No, and... This is not a perfect podcast. No. Our politics are perfect. Our politics are perfect, but the podcast does not have to be no, perfect. Right. Um, what's up? I'm Milan. I'm Sam. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Episode two of Perfect Politics. Episode two of Perfect Politics, and we watched Ocean's 13. Yeah. So what we do on the podcast is we watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Part of the podcast is us talking about a movie from... I guess like the 2010s or this is 2007. This We've is watched an 06 and there's a secret episode 2005 episode, which we'll, we won't talk about. Yeah. So we do that and then we talk about stuff in the news. Basically. I think it's easy to get caught up in the news cycle. Yeah, it is. It's, and true. there's a lot to learn you know, from history. So we've studied history. We've studied history um, and we've studied film. And we've studied film. And we've noticed that there's quite a few connections between the two. There's quite a few two. connections between the two. And, you know, it would it would be easy to get caught up in the news cycle. It would be easy to get on here and talk about how Trump called Chris Christie a fat pig. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about how Trump called Chris Christie a fat pig. It would be easy. It'd be easy. It'd be cheap. It'd be cheap. And we're not going to do that. Everybody, you can go any, you can go anywhere else to get that type of news of Trump calling Chris Christie a fat pig. That's yeah. That's not what we're going to do here. Um, instead, we watched 2007 Ocean 13, Danny Ocean's final heist. Yeah, Danny Ocean's final heist. This is the um, technically the third heist movie that we've mo- watched in a row. You yes. and I. Yes. Um, which is like I don't know how long that theme's gonna go, but it's been fun so far. It's the, there's no fatigue so far. <laughs> there's no heist fatigue, which is which is a real medical term. Every heist movie is so different. It has so much nuance. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, one of my the big difference between this one and Inside Man, our 2006 movie. This is a revenge heist. True. This is a revenge heist. Inside Man, that's a heist of opportunity. It's a heist of opportunity. There's a little bit of a revenge element, but it's not personal the way that this one is. This is a personal situation. Ocean's Eleven is personal. It's about him getting tests back, about Danny getting tests back. Um, But it's also about the money, you know? It's 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 a lot of stuff. They actually get mad at him in Ocean's Eleven. They're like personal this is this is bad business right you don't want it to be personal he doesn't you don't want to make it personal um and then oceans 12 i don't really remember but they go to europe they go (laughs) that's like the synopsis on imdb they go to europe (laughs) and then of course in trilogy fashion they come back to vegas for the third movie yeah i forget the name of the old guy who gets uh screwed over Ruben. Oh, yeah, Ruben. Yeah, the movie over. starts off with Ruben, who's a part of Ocean's 13. Um, he's, buying a, he's buying a casino with Willie Bank. Willie Bank, played by is, Al, Al Pacino. Yep, great role. 
uh, great character, and he screws over Ruben at the beginning of the movie, which kind of initiates the revenge heist. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's not much to summarize because I pretty much think everybody's seen this movie. Everyone has seen this movie. But just the big reminders are they have two goals. They're going to they're gonna make sure that on the opening night of Al Pacino's casino that everybody wins a ton of money mm-hmm. and basically he loses his job or like he loses his position because of that and then the second thing is he has a bunch of diamonds that he cares about and they're Mm -hmm. gonna do a diamond heist Mm -hmm. and that's their that's those are the two goals basically of the Mm -hmm. movie yep so they get rich they prosper yeah and um willie bank goes down he goes down he goes down hard you know but he should he the the thing that they keep bringing up in the movie is that um, he's screwing over all of his business partners. He's just a big asshole. But the thing is, man, he shook Sinatra's hand. He shook Sinatra's hand, and yeah. there's a code. There's a code of guys who shake Sinatra's hand. What is that code? That you got to be white. <laughs> <laughs> That's the code. You got to be white or Sammy Davis. Yeah, Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. Um, and then the whites. Yeah. Uh, they don't really. Exp- the code, I guess, is. Hey, come on now, don't. Hey, come on. <laughs> you shook his hand. What the hell? Remember? <laughs> the code is remember? <laughs> that time? They don't really go into what it means, really. That's a big that's the first thing I wanted to talk about is a big theme in the movie is just um the Vegas development scene and property v- development. Yeah. This is mind you, this is 2007 and it's still mm-hmm. a thing that people talk about today, but they have this thing in the movie where they talk about old Vegas. Remember old Vegas? You know, right. the casinos used to be smaller, I guess. Um, and now, you know, there's a new monstrosity being built every day, and there's another monstrosity being destroyed so that another thing can go up. Right. There used to be maybe something beautiful about Vegas that was disconnected from capitalism, and now it is just a commercial mall. Yeah. Vegas is a mall now, and that's um, it's good to see a 2007 movie and see how that sentiment was there. Um, Cause I didn't go to Vegas in 2007, but now going to Vegas, it's like, I, I can see how this has passed its prime of the glory days. Yeah. My thing though is I bet it was always kind of shitty and mm-hmm. it was always, it was probably seedier than it used to be. No, I don't actually don't think that true. That's true. But I think, it it the the nostalgia people have for Vegas is like it used to be a place for the people and it's like dude it was always just a place to take your money from you it was never a place for the people right um right. but you know the version of it of what it is now is worse than what it what it used to be i guess it's where it, yeah it's disconnected from the human experience and it's more about money and reviews like he wants this hotel, this Willie Bank hotel, to be rated as the the best hotel in the world, but he does not actually care about anyone's experience at the hotel. No, he doesn't care about. He just wants his. He just that's the thing. He wants his di- five diamond award. Mm-hmm. That's all he his, cares about. That's all he cares about. I don't really understand the politics of it. Truly, like I've, I've we did some analysis of this movie. That part of it, I don't quite understand what they're what point they're trying to make. He's just like all he cares about it is is his dumb award right yeah um i don't think that i don't i don't know what the comment on it is either, i don't know either <laughs> other than just this is late stage capitalism it's disconnected from the people and it's more about the rating yeah it's more about the rating um just connecting it to today i think i 
we read an article a couple of weeks back and you know they're having issues after covid of converting all these office buildings that nobody's using into um, living spaces uh-huh. and making it affordable housing nobody wants to do that mm-hmm. obviously they'd rather just destroy the entire building right. and then rebuild it for rich people right because if they just convert stuff uh, from office buildings, I mean, it's gonna look weird. I mean, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to put a ton of money into it to make it look like a living space, right? Or they can just make it affordable and have people move in, right? You're giving me a a creative task to <laughs> not get rich. Yeah, Mm-mm. it's too creative. You're right. Like remodeling, that's that's like something that would be on like HGTV or should be on like TLC, like an entire show where they turn the old Ernst and Young building into affordable housing. They, they do need to gamify it. They need yeah. to, to make it like, who is going to be able to turn this bullshit office building into interesting housing? This is a good TV idea. We can make a uh, TV show idea. We can make like um, office building flip. Office building flip. Yeah. Uh-huh. O- office building redo. Office bu- <laughs> building redo. And then flip. We'll make, let's get the property brothers in on this. I don't know mm-hmm. much about them. I just know that they're brothers, but... You know, I've seen a, a picture of them before, and they look like they would look at this and be like, "We should just tear it down and build luxury apartments." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even they, even they can't <laughs> turn this around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, a big construction uh, goes up in Vegas. It's all new. Everything's new. Everything's new. And that's like new is bad. There's no revitalization in this. No. It's all uh, built new. To wow, there's a new there's a there's a technology element to it that we wanted to talk about because the uh, the security system in this new casino has AI apparently. Yes. Yeah, it's called the Greco. It's called the Greco, and yeah. it is an artificial intelligence system that reads biometrics. Yeah, uh, to stop cheating in the casino. I thought it was good. It was good to see AI mentioned in the 2007 world because yeah. it doesn't mean the same thing no it it's still used in a similar way where it's like this is exciting and scary <laughs> we used to think calculators were ai we did <laughs> yeah we did it's a- like it's thinking for us <laughs> ai as like a term is just such a good term yeah it started when computers started yeah. some guy was like artificial intelligence and then everybody was like whoa whoa and that term has been used for 70 years and it just keeps evolving of what it means yeah so the technology in this movie is that it uses biometric scanning like it tracks people's eyes it tracks people's reactions to see if they got a genuine reaction to Mm -hmm. their winning or if they like cheated basically but i'm like you know especially with what we know about the human brain nowadays like you could just you know wouldn't you just like arrest a bunch of people who, who are on the like autism spectrum who don't necessarily react like any new ne- any neurodivergent person you're gonna just arrest and be like hey <laughs> you're you cheated and they're like no i'm just good at the i got lucky that's a, that's a problem with society today and with this movie autistic people cannot get lucky <laughs> that's my big issue with this movie um, it's a genuine reaction. They it's have a genuine that. reaction, but yeah, they they, it's like the villains rely on the technology. They totally take out the human element of it. Yeah, uh, Livingston, one of the other thirteen in, in Danny's heist crew. <laughs> Let's name all thirteen. I I wrote down Livingston's name recently because I cannot name all thirteen. No, yeah, he. Uh, gets hired by the casino because he beats the lie detector test because he puts like a nail in his foot and just is in immense pain the whole time. Yeah. And they even make a comment like the guy who's testing him is like, 
Man, you look like a liar. Good thing we got this machine here that says you're not. <laughs> the polygraph. The polygraph. Whatever, yeah. So, yeah, it was good to see AI as biometrics. And yeah. uh, this was like before the current modern wave of AI that we're in. It's funny because you mentioned how they have this AI computer and yet they still have to get the they still have to show the inventor of the AI yeah. to represent the AI because yes. they can't just have the computer speak or something because no, they're be not too, there yet. No. This is so this is 2007 like the idea of deep learning wasn't there. No. So not like really. AI still needed a guy with a foreign accent to be like my machine. Yeah. <laughs> this European dork created this supercomputer. If it if I was Al Pacino, I would you know, I would make the machine have my voice. Oh, that's like, such a good idea. Why yeah. doesn't anybody do that? You're cheating. <laughs> I, I got my eyes on you. <laughs> it's just his voice echoing over the I, I would love for the owner of a casino to just be over the intercom all the time, just in your ear. Yeah, that just more encouragement than like accusing you of cheating. Hello, it's me, Al Pacino. <laughs> He's, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> you're in the hole now, but think about what this next hour could bring you. Yeah, you're like telling people that's that's you're telling people they're in the hole. <laughs> you're just reminding people how they're losing. Listen, you might be a loser today, <clears throat> but uh, here at the bank, everyone's a winner. The bank. It's called the bank. What is it called? He's Willie Bank, and yeah, the casino is called the bank. Such a bad name. <laughs> The bank. <laughs> he's like he's like a hack villain almost on purpose. Yeah, it's a little too on the nose, I would say. Just to yeah, this came out. This also came out in two thousand seven. Um, at the in December, so this was on the heels of the financial crisis. Not the you know this was clearly made right. and written before all that. Right. But interesting timing. To, interesting timing to be called the bank. The, a very corrupt uh, concept yeah. at the time. Uh, what were some other things we liked about this? Uh, the main, I mean, the writer strike or writer strike. The, the writer strike. <laughs> there's a there's a worker strike, right? Yes, there's a worker strike that is organic. It's not part of the heist. Um, to one of the members goes down to Mexico to work in a factory to rig dice, and then when he's there, he's he's like, these conditions are unacceptable. Yeah, and so there's a whole narrative. Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck. His character. Um goes down and starts a strike a revolt it's that it doesn't look like the writer's strike no <laughs> <laughs> they're throwing molotov molotov cocktails if i they at the writer's strike they should be throwing <laughs> molotov cocktails at sony pictures they lot. have a, the writers could learn a lot from this movie of yeah. how to strike and how to get things done ironic that it was written by writers who would never have the courage <laughs> To violently protest anything. If we ever striked, that we would. This is what be at the gates, banging on the gates, <laughs> blowing up the police cars. Yeah, I, I've got some interesting information about. I just did a tiny bit of research about um, the the whole protest scene. So the strike takes place in Mexico, and then um, he uh, Casey Affleck's character references Emiliano Zapata. So I looked into who that is and it's a leader of the mexican revolution in 1910 so it was basically just he led a, a socialist agrarian reform like give the farmers their money basically right um, a good easter egg in this movie about socialism and you know labor rights yeah. there are a few easter eggs in this movie uh, one of my favorites is there's the susan b anthony uh they name all of their 
heists. All of their little uh, schemes within the heist get names. Yeah. And Susan B. Anthony is one of them. And it's a good Easter egg because this is a movie that famously has only one woman in it. No, we should talk about... Let's just talk about that first, and then we'll go into what the Susan B. Anthony is. So One woman, and I, I, she has been defined as a cougar. And I'll be honest, you and I were talking about this the other day in the car, and you were like, you know, there's no women. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I did not even notice. I was like, I was just having a great time watching the, <laughs> these 13 men rob this other man. <laughs> uh yeah, but it's, it's such a fast-paced movie, and like you forget that there's no women. <laughs> there's like there, it's just like it's, it's like a model or something, or yeah. it's like a or like a, literally like sex workers, prostitutes, sex workers. Yeah, yeah. There is a commentary on how the waitresses get like evaluated by weight. Yeah, and one then of they're them gets like, um, they're technically models, so they can discriminate against appearance. Yes. And then Danny Ocean's thirteen is like. That's wrong. That ain't right. That ain't right. That's not what Old Vegas was about. Old Vegas respected women, okay? Not that those guys have ever talked to a woman in any capacity in those roles. <laughs> they all have talked to Tess. Oh Yeah, only Tess. And she's not in the movie. <laughs> she's not in this movie. And the reason she's not in the movie is because she was like, I need a bigger role. And he was like, no. Is that really why? Yeah, she wanted a bigger role. And yeah. they were like, we want you in the movie, but like, you she, know. She's not really in the first one enough either. I mean, right. she's like kind of a... They, they do... Painter is a cool character, but they don't really use her that much. She's just kind of right. watching stuff on security cameras as Danny like does the heist. Um, so yeah, there's no women in the movie. Basically, it's just that one uh, like Al Pacino's assistant. She's like this super high-strung manager who does his dirty work for him, and then she gets seduced by Matt Damon, who seduces her with his charm, but also like a nameless drug. Yeah, a drug <laughs> that like he puts on his chin, and yeah. then it's like a cologne that's irresistible to her. Right. Um, so there is one woman and they and she makes a huge mistake she makes a big fool out of herself yeah so, by falling in love <laughs> by by just like taking a break from work one day and just enjoying herself well she's the one who grants Matt Damon access to the diamond room yeah one of the worst rooms in cinema history maybe yeah, the diamond like, room so it's like this room at the top of the casino where al pacino keeps all of his diamonds there's there's a mini bar in the corner that sucks <laughs> the mini bar is so funny because it's such a grand hotel and yeah. like the diamonds are so extravagant and then it really is like a bachelor's bar that he would have in his living room it's just like an expired half bottle of vermouth <laughs> Yeah, it's such a depressing room with almost no furniture. Yeah, and then you're just thinking about like, what does Al Pacino use this room for? He just comes up and he's like, "My diamonds." <laughs> he just hangs out and looks at the which are in the middle of the room. He, he does his fingers like this. My diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. He deserves to get those stolen, man. Glad they got stolen. Um, another funny part of this movie is um. I mean, Don Cheadle's really good in this movie. Don Cheadle's really good in this movie. He has probably the best scene, in my opinion. He's got the best scene. He, it's the funniest line ever. I am, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is maybe my favorite derogatory sentence ever uh, spun in a movie before. Yeah, and it's good because he. So everyone in this movie has other roles, so they're actors playing actors. So. Being racist is a part of his act. Uh, he walks in to Willie Banks' office 
demand like he demands his attention he demands his attention and he's uh just for reference he is impersonating a guy named fender Rhodes, who is like an evil knievel uh right motorcycle uh jumper guy basically right and what what he says is he demands his money pay me in cash mm-hmm. and willie Banks says it, the money's already been wired to you but uh that's not too relevant to the situation pay me my money is what don Cheadle says yeah and then he's like i could get travis pastrana and sean white here at the drop of a hat and he goes if you want a bunch of long hairs riding rice rockets <laughs> the the funniest uh racist sentence of the movie yeah and then it's followed by this is heavy bikes this is heavy bikes <laughs> i'm a goddamn american icon <laughs> it's so anachronistic because you're like thinking about 2007 and you're thinking is this what we liked i don't think even <laughs> old people liked this back then how new was Travis Pastrana to um, the scene, you know? That was a good line. I like that part a lot. Very funny. That's that's my first introduction to the, the term long hairs. Yeah, so you looked it up. Derogatory and, towards hippies. Yeah, so it's a real term. It's a real term. I might start using it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't like hippie. It's funny how the reaction to hippies is the same regardless of whether you're prejudiced and have never met them or if you've met them nobody likes them nobody likes a hippie except for a hippie except for other hippies yeah i just don't like getting tricked by them they're always tricking me into stuff you know polyamory (laughs) everything that a hippie does is tricking you like yeah you can live here it's like okay it's like there's gonna be eight other people in the room but yeah no it's cool it is a scheme they're always scheming always scheming they never shoot it straight they're not straight shooters the hippies no unlike danny ocean and his gang of (laughs) thieves (laughs) basically the hippies of vegas i would say totally yeah 100 percent um well, let me say what the Susan B. Anthony is. Yeah. Because there's famously only one woman, and, and she uh, is made a fool of. But the Easter egg of Susan B. Anthony, um, the the woman who is most responsible for the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote in 1920, uh, but she died in 1906. So she spent her whole life advocating for uh, you know civil rights, um, she got a lot of signatures on a petition to abolish slavery during the Civil War, and she got arrested for voting um, in New York at one point. And so she dies and doesn't realize, like she doesn't realize uh, the fruits of her labor. A dream deferred. A dream deferred. And uh, what they do, there's a, a guy who's just collateral damage in Ocean's 13, and they just, he's the real reviewer. Uh, the man who is deciding if Willie Bank will get five diamonds or not. And they put him through hell. They terrorize him. And at the end of the movie, they let him hit uh, a slot machine jackpot. Yeah. Referred to as the Susan B. Anthony. That's the Susan B. Anthony. He wins $10 million, even though he went through hell, basically. And my thing is, if Susan B. Anthony was given the choice of $10 million in voting rights for women, she would have taken the $10 million. <laughs> well, $10 million would have gone a long way back then. Yeah. She could have done a lot of stuff. She could have done a lot of stuff. Maybe that would have been better, honestly. Maybe a, a pocket full of <laughs> cash would have been better for Susan B. Anthony. So if you watch this movie, where will there be a female representation? No. Nope. But, but you can always watch Ocean's 8. You can always watch Ocean's 8. Which I haven't seen yet, but I will now because I feel bad. I, I, saw don't, I don't feel bad, but you, you've seen it. It's good. Yeah, you know, it's no Ocean's 13, but it's, it's good. Okay. Um, Maybe we'll watch it for a different episode. 
But yeah, so 2007, Sam watched this movie, Zero Women Representation, but I got an Easter egg about women's suffrage and an Easter egg about some, uh, some labor rights. Yeah. And it stuck. I'm glad we revisited this from a political angle. It was definitely useful. It was. It was. Oh, by the way, this has nothing to do with the politics, but you know, there, there's a scene with Matt Damon and it's like super shaky cam and he's in London. Yeah. I looked it up. He was in London when they shot that because he was shooting the Bourne Supremacy or one of the Bourne movies. Oh, that rocks. And they just used it as a, um, they were like, okay, cool. We'll just shoot this in that style over there, basically. Yeah. So that, that, that rules. You were right about that. It's so funny. Yeah. His first like introduction to the movie, it's like they do the shaky Jason Bourne camp, almost like they're making fun. It's like too shaky. Yeah. It's like too shaky and sirens are going on and the conversation they have on the phone is like just regular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other the other Easter egg that I was going to say is, uh, yeah, so there's the reference to the Mexican Revolution. And then in 2008, Steven Soderbergh, who directed this movie, he directed a two-part film uh, series about Che Guevara. So <clears throat> he's into it. He's into it. Um, I want to talk about some personal stuff before we got into the, uh, the news. Let's do it. Uh, we got water at Costco the other day yeah we, we got, got a lot of water we got a bunch of like bottles of water yeah. and it, i think we were like influenced by the movie because we treated our costco experience like a heist basically. we really did yeah we're, i think we're getting really good either at shopping or maybe at heist i don't know what we're getting it was like at. a heist going to costco is like a heist it is but the way we do it is better because you know uh we're two roommates if uh -huh. you're if you're a husband or if you're a married couple right there's going to be a lot of arguing there's mm -hmm. going to be a lot of decisions being made about what we need for the house and what we don't need we went mm -hmm. in with one thing we said we're two guys guys uh -huh. we need 160 bottles of water we need 160 <laughs> bottles of water you're the danny ocean of this heist because you have a costco card yeah sure that works for me i'm, I'm cool with that and you're the brad pitt uh, i'll be the brad pitt because that would be the second best option I man think. you know i was just gonna say like i don't want to give sam the but you get to be brad pitt i get That's to be brad pretty pitt. cool george clooney is not a, a bad uh um, option. This know? is how we. This is how we ran this heist. Basically, yeah. um, I got the cart. I realized, man, uh, you know, this isn't. This is really a one person job. I can grab all this water. Yeah. And you were like, man, I want some food. I, I got to eat some food before yeah. we go do the next thing. And I and we were like, you know what? You grab the hot dog. Mm -hmm. I'll go get the water. That's right. I'll meet you here, and we'll be done at the same time. And we were. I yeah. finished my hot dog yeah. at the exact moment that we finished putting the water in the in the trunk. We were in and out of Costco, I would say, under 20 minutes. Under 20 minutes. It was crazy. It's the fastest Costco run I've ever it, done. Yeah. It was a divide and conquer. Everyone had their own role. Yeah. That's what you, you got. You get a job and, and you do it. And I didn't tell you this, but I did steal the water. So <laughs> <laughs> we're good on that. Uh, before we stop talking about Ocean's 13, I just want to say Bernie Mac is the best. Oh, yeah. It's cool to see him. Just it's I think the, that was like one of his last movies. He died in 08. So, yeah, this is one of his last movies. He's so funny. He's, he's so, so great. funny. Yeah. No matter like how much he's in the movie or not in the movie, he's just going to be really good in it. He was awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Any other personal stuff? Uh, no, I think how long do you think 160 water bottles are going to last us? <laughs> I mean, I was like the rest of the year, no. <laughs> but it'll probably be like realistically two months, I think two months and I'd be cool with that. Two I months is good. Cool. Yeah. Be a good two months. Yeah. Hydrated two months. Hydrated two months, man. <laughs> I, I do think like the quality of our lives depends on how much water we have in the house or like not just us, like anybody, you mm -hmm. know, you should always have water around. 
it's should. not it's not a funny but it's true it's a good lesson it's like, <laughs> this is the this is milan's a lesson corner <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we had a successful heist at costco where you did everything and i bought a hot dog and ate a hot dog <laughs> And good, by the way. Yeah. If if you haven't had those dollar fifty hot dog and a Pepsi at Costco recently, it was a uh, it was a great dinner for me because I had already stood in line at another restaurant that I didn't really want, and uh, the line was taking too long. And I was like, "You can say the restaurant. I think it's a good juxtaposition." It's, it's Dune. I was at Dune. I was going to get a hummus plate, and the line was deep. And I was like, "They're never gonna they're never gonna pull off this heist in time for me to get this hummus plate and go to Costco." Costco hot dog. Yeah. There's no heisting at Dune. It's like, okay, no. what am I going to, like, what's my friend going to go buy a record while I. <laughs> There's no heist at Dune. It's a scene. It's just a scene. Yeah. It's like a fancy. It's art. It's, yeah. <laughs> Dune is, yeah, it's an art scene. It's a popular place. And yeah, you don't get over on Dune. They get over on you. Yeah. The house always wins. The house always wins at Dune. At Dune. <laughs> you think that's, that is true. You think you're, if you don't know what Dune is, it's like just this fancy, um, like, Middle, Middle Eastern place, like mm-hmm. a hip. Middle Eastern place in Famous LA. Famous people like to go there. It yeah. is really good food. It is good food. I mean, like, I think if you, if you, I don't know, if you're like Middle Eastern and you eat there, you'll probably be like, oh, my mom cooks way better than this. Sure. But uh, it's good. It's pretty good. You want to get in some news? Let's do it. Cool. Um, I got a few things, but uh, we can go, we can talk about the Ford electric vehicle. I read an article about um, Ford and basically they're just saying that, um, they're not fully committing to electric vehicles. They're being pretty wishy-washy about it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I would say the headline for me was that a lot of companies have committed to making zero emission vehicles going Mm -hmm. forward. Ford's not going to do that. They're going to keep making gas and diesel. Right. It's interesting. It's, it's so far away. It's like a decade promise away. (laughs) And they still can't do it. They just won't do it. Almost like a PR thing. Yeah. Because the Ford lightning is the electric truck. I don't know who wants that. But everybody wants the Ford F-150. It's the highest-selling, best-selling car in America. It's crazy. I didn't know that until you told it to me, and then mm-hmm. I reread this article, and I looked it up again. And that kind of blows my... I mean, it doesn't blow my mind, because when you look on the road, there's a ton of trucks on the road. There's a ton of trucks. Not but, even necessarily in LA, yeah. but like once you get out of every city, everyone's got a truck, and it's Chevy or a Ford. Yeah, they're huge. I assume the second-best-selling car in America is the Chevy truck. Um, I can look into it, but I have I saw an article, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, it's trucks, big trucks, and uh, it's got to be gas. That's what the Ford, that's what the Ford consumer wants. Do you know much about the Lightning? I didn't really look into it. Uh it looks okay. I know it has a very pathetic range, like uh, it can only it can go less than 200 miles. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because the whole premise of this article is that they're talking to the ceo of ford the 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 reporter is and they go on a road trip with him basically Mm -hmm. like a thousand mile road trip basically from california to i think carson city nevada and um it's just them you know like having issues charging along the way and then they stop at stations half the charging stations are taken the other half are broken Mm -hmm. and uh it's just the ceo for being like we like electric we want to keep doing electric you know Mm -hmm. it's like but 
you can see it's an issue. It's almost like him being like, yeah, it's a problem, right? Yeah, they're almost doing like a see how this doesn't work yet. And we're going to have to make gas cars until 2050. Yeah, that's so weird. I was saying it's like the lamest version of fear and loathing in Las Vegas <laughs> is a reporter and the CEO of Ford. Going in an electric truck. An inc incredibly sober journey to Carson City. <laughs> they don't even go to Vegas. <laughs> Um, you know, my my big takeaway on the Ford Lightning is it doesn't seem to appeal to any demographic. Like nobody who buys the the gas powered F one fifty would also want the electric truck because like a big part of that is like how do you fix it? It's like you tell these people in rural America that it's like this is just one big computer and if there's like a malfunction then you have to take it back to Ford. It's like I want to be able to fix my engine. Gotcha. Okay. So there's like some autonomy to having a gas-powered car that electric cars don't have. And I think the Ford F-150 buyers want as much autonomy as possible. Got it. Who, um, in your in your opinion, because I'm not a car person, but mm -hmm. you like cars. Who, I like cars. Who's the demographic for the Rivian then? Because that's probably the hottest electric truck. Yeah. yeah. Um, rich people yeah. who don't need the truck bed at all um who want a nice uh electric vehicle and they can afford something nicer than a tesla let's it's, be a, it's a little bit of a flex to buy like a hundred thousand dollar car regardless of a, if it's electric or not yeah so it's a a luxury item i'm gonna be fair i'm gonna defend the the rich people for a second okay most of the people buying any kind of truck do not need the truck bed <laughs> most people aren't using it as much as they think they are but there's a threat yeah when you have an f-150 <clears throat> it's a big threat that you're going to use that truck bed i don't think the rivian people are even threatening oh yeah probably there's not, not there's not even cosplay of there might be lumber in this truck bed gotcha true that makes sense um so the funny the funny thing is in the article they always do this any article about ford um they always say something they always relate it back to the uh model t you know yeah because every every car company every company in general wants to act like they're on the forefront of the new but ford right. always just they always have to go back to the model t and be like remember when we made that first car <laughs> and, it, it, yeah and i think what the quote was um he said, it's actually not much different than with the Model T when we had to teach people how to drive because they were coming off of a horse. <laughs> it's like, what? And you're like, think about like, what year are you referencing right now, dude? They want to remind you that they essentially invented the consumer car. Yeah. It reminds me, um, I'm a UNC basketball fan, maybe the greatest basketball program in the history of the sport, Duke. Also a very respectable basketball program and both programs fight about who is the better program ever. And the one like really funny uh, thing that UNC fans bring up is like, we won uh, the national championship in 1924. And like one, there was no national championship in 1924. It was just like these 10 white guys played like 15 games and didn't lose. <laughs> and that is the model T of college basketball. Yeah. Remember when we won in 1924? When black guys weren't allowed to Learn, be there? Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we didn't uh, let black people invent anything? <laughs> or we just took it from them? That, um, that is the Model T uh, of North Carolina basketball. I can kind of connect this to the next news story, actually. Okay. Um, also, I don't know if we 
I don't know how relevant this is to people, but the top-selling car in America in 2022 was the Ford F-Series, 653,957 units sold. Whoa. A lot of, lot of, lot of units. Um yeah, so there was a. Did you hear about the Montgomery River b- boat brawl? Oh, did I? Oh, cool. Okay, it rocked. Yeah, I'll let you kind of explain it then. Um, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of footage. Yeah, there's so much footage of this. Um, the the situation is there is a boat that is trying to dock, and it's a commercial boat. It has a lot of people on it, and then there is a private boat on the dock. Uh, white people and. A black security guard goes up to me like, you have to move because there's a big ferry and it needs to dock here. And they beat this guy up. I don't know how such a, a decision came about, but they beat this guy up. Everybody on the ferry, everybody around seems to be black. They just beat the shit out of this family. Yeah. I don't know how many other white people are involved, but it just seems like one of the most righteous brawls I've ever seen on an iPhone camera. <laughs> it was it was really cool because exactly what you described, it's like these four white people go up to beat up uh, this black dude, and then it's almost like a zoom out, and there's like a hundred black people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or yeah. there's like a lot more. They're like watching, like the, the one long video I watched that like the people are watching <laughs> and filming, and they're like, "You're gonna get beat up." Yeah, they, and then they do. And they do. They gave they, him a chance. Um, yeah, so loved to watch that. There's a couple interesting things. Uh, one dude swims over, mm-hmm. like there's one dude who swims super fast over to them. Yeah. Uh, there's a dude who, uh, uses a folding chair yeah. to bash somebody, um, which is related to the last story because people found out that one of the first patents for a folding chair was invented by a black man. That's incredible. Um, the name of the person was, uh... Uh, Nathaniel Alexander and it was patented in 1911 it wasn't I don't think it was necessarily the first patent for uh for a folding chair and okay. it wasn't the last one but it was one of like the main ones sure that we, we still kind of use that design today and you can assume that uh he wasn't given all of all of the same liberties no. <laughs> as a white man who might have come up with the exact same invention yeah honestly due to like how people report on history it's like he probably did invent it and mm-hmm. then he just didn't that nobody gave him the patent until like 40 years afterwards and they were right. like yeah he was the third guy <laughs> <laughs> right I'm, I'm sure there are countless instances like that and so it was good to see this brawl it was a, a victory for black america and re- and wrestling fans and it, fans of entertainment fans of entertainment if you're yeah. not a white supremacist that was the best video of the year. <laughs> um, yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, I just don't like in news articles because, or it was like an opinion piece, but it was like, it, they always do this. Be like, and black Twitter went off. <laughs> they always talk about black Twitter went off. And it's like, yeah, like, and there's some funny stuff. There's some good photoshops of like Martin Luther King with like the folding chair. And there's some, there's some good comedy, but it's also just like, I don't know how to explain this, but I just get annoyed by that because I'm like, it's still Twitter. It's still annoying. I don't. I, I know some mm-hmm. of it's funny, and then at the end of the day, I'm just kind of like a little bored by it. And I, I, I don't like how news articles report on black Twitter like it's like this. It's like, you know, you, it's you could just, just credit the eight hilarious people that like did yeah. super cuts of this. Black Twitter went crazy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that guy posted it from his account. You could credit him. I know, totally. <laughs> black Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like this mon- monolith of funny people. We won't say any of their names. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, there's that new story. Uh, I got another story unless okay. you got something. Um, I got something, but maybe we'll do it later. Okay, cool. Uh, I just read about this this morning. There's the assassination of presidential candidate uh, of Ecuador, Fernando Vil- uh, Villa Vicencio. Um, he was basically anti anti cartel, and so people um, believe that uh, it was a cartel related hit. Um, he had eight percent of the vote for uh, president in a recent poll, and his whole you know his whole platform was he this is according to the article they use this terminology he was no nonsense and he used hardball tactics against the cartels and government corruption <laughs> they kept using that term hardball hardball <laughs> tactics <laughs> they played hardball with him yeah they played hardball with him there's a pretty funny quote where he said um he told a campaign rally that he would rather wear a sweaty shirt than a bulletproof vest and he said i don't need it i'm not afraid i'm brave like you let them come here i am I mean, he's asking for it. Yeah. You walk in and you say, the cartel, I'm going to play hardball with the cartel, and uh, I'm just going to wear a sweaty shirt. They're going to kill you. Yeah. They're probably going to kill you. Uh, he was, so he was, he took a hard stance against the Sinaloa cartel. It's a Mexican drug cartel, mm-hmm. but it's connected to one of Ecuador's street gangs called the, uh, damn, I think I wrote this down. It's called the Chokers, but it's probably something else. Okay. I think I wrote that. Don't just look it up. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is enough. This isn't the fucking news. Yeah, do your own research on this podcast, all right? But yeah, they're related to like drug, drug trafficking in Ecuador. So, uh, he's almost a martyr and not a politician. Yeah, like totally. maybe he's right, but he clearly wasn't attempting to do politics. I guess he not, was standing right? up to what he believed to be was wrong, but like that cartel was always going to get you. Yeah, he. I guess what he wanted to do was create like more maximum security prisons to get the drug cartel leaders um, in prison so that they can't communicate with their gangs. Oh, which um, I don't know anything about that stuff, but that sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds, sounds great. Sounds cool to be able to communicate with your gang <laughs> from in prison. Yeah, their prisons are so chill. Yeah, that like they're still the the kingpin of their gang while they're in prison. Yeah, I guess that happens here too, right? Doesn't that happen everywhere? I know that when El Chapo was in jail in America, I think he was still the head of his cartel. Yeah. So they're they're connect. They use that one phone call and they use it well. It's just fun in like in movies and TV when they show that where the guy's like in jail, but he's like having a really good time because everyone respects him. And I'm like, it just makes it look like he's on vacation. And it's almost like, <laughs> damn, like that's actually a good thing if you're a gang leader. Maybe is you get to just take like seven because you know they don't get like long sentences a lot of times no, they'll get yeah. like seven or eight months and it's like you just get to chill you know yeah you just you you go in and you cook uh italian food like they do in goodfellas <laughs> yeah you're safe you're pretty safe you're safe yeah it's yeah. a vacation you kind of you, you you relax and uh maybe you don't really cook the sauce when you're out yeah but then when you're in prison that's when you get back to your roots that's true <laughs> you get back to your prison roots <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think that, those were basically the, the news articles I wanted to Yeah, talk I didn't about. see that. I, that seems like such a, that's like, that should be a headline. When I open my phone in the morning, they should be like, politician fighting against cartels gets assassinated by... You'd think that would be at the top, right? You'd think that'd be at the top. That's a sexy headline. No I know. I, I noticed that when people, politicians get assassinated in other countries, like whether it's a mayor, a governor, a presidential candidate, whatever, people just don't care. It doesn't make the world news it doesn't, as yeah. much as other stuff. Even, do you remember maybe a year or two ago when the 
the Japanese former prime minister was assassinated. Yeah. That seemed, it seemed like such a monumental thing, but it was reported on in such a casual way. Dude, uh, I actually, I didn't hear about that, but there was, um, there was a politician in, uh, I think it was like the governor of Seoul. I don't know. Look it up. But there's a major politician look in it Seoul up. who got assassinated as well. And I, my friend uh, Chris lives in Korea. And I was like, yeah, is that like, are people going crazy? And he's like, eh, it's, you know, not really. People, <laughs> it's like. That's so interesting. It's not as crazy as when it happens in America, I guess. It hasn't happened in America in a long time. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> We're due. We're due. We're overdue. Yeah. But yeah, those are those are the stories I wanted to talk about. Okay, um, inspired by Ocean's Thirteen, I looked into some AI stuff. Sweet, because I thought it was it was kind of comforting to see AI represented in a two thousand seven way. Yeah, because there's a lot of AI frenzy now, and it's kind of the same fear slash excitement that they had in the movie. They were scared of this machine, and they use an earthquake. They use a natural disaster yeah. to beat it. Like, a human could not beat this AI. Where are you at with AI in 2023? Are you on the fear or excitement side? I have a famous quote about AI Okay. that I coined. Nobody's ever said this. Okay. And when I die, people will, people will repeat this, and I want to make sure that I get credited for this. Okay. We, we don't fear AI because we think it will hurt us. We fear AI because it will love more deeply than we ever could. That's beautiful. I sincerely believe that. <laughs> we, fear, we fear AI's humanity. Well, the day that AI comes up with a quote as beautiful as that, then I'll believe you. Yeah, what if I just got that from ChatGBT? <laughs> I just typed in, give me a cool quote about AI. <laughs> Also, I'm hungry. Write something beautiful. <laughs> Write something and I, beautiful. And I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> um, Yoshinoya Bowl is open right now at 8 a.m. <laughs> I'm doing this at 8 a.m. <laughs> find me a job. <laughs> hey, AI, Siri, find me a job and write something beautiful. Yeah. Write a haiku for me. I just think, I think Siri's AI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I did some, I did some digging into AI, uh, because it's such a great term. Artificial intelligence was coined like right when the computer was invented because it's such a great phrase. It's such a showstopper of a thing and it just evolves like the meaning of it evolves over time. So it was cool to see the 2007 representation of it as like biometrics. And, uh, that was like their imagination of artificial intelligence and now our interpretation is like ChatGPT, I think, is kind of like the main, it's like a, a language software that's going to write better than humans. Um, but that's not really the case. No. Like th that it writes better than humans. That it writes better than humans. No, that it writes anything interesting at all. Yeah. I mean, it can it can write stuff, but it's not as good as what people mm -hmm. can do if we... If we have time. Yeah. So I was excited to see that uh, AI stocks right now are, are kind of dipping a little bit. Oh, there's dang. some AI fatigue. Mm. Uh, people are using chat GPT for way less now than they did two months ago. And it's like kind of a hype cycle. AI always has always gone through hype cycles. Yeah. And we might be 
like getting to the end of this hype cycle where at the beginning of the year, an investor would hear AI in like an, a, a pitch meeting and be like, we're investing in that. And now it's like uh, AI means nothing. It's, oh, it's said so much and the product doesn't make sense. So we could be at, at some point in a hype cycle. We could be in a hype cycle. I'm, I, I, I just remembered a different hype cycle where uh, Tom Hanks was in the Polar Express and we were <laughs> like, that's AI to yeah, me yes. just by this terminology uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god ai is crazy just like the cg and then and then it looked weird and everybody was like yeah we don't want this anymore mm-hmm. it's like okay right i thought it looked cool <laughs> there's there's a term for this amara's law which is we overestimate things in the short term and underestimate things in the long term <laughs> and so we're at this point with Wait, AI. Say, say that again that's good we overestimate things in the short term okay and we underestimate things in the long term. That's cool. So maybe we're underestimating what Jet GBT will be in five years, but we're overestimating what it might be right now. <laughs> um, I read a report. I um, I read as much of the report as I could. I read a Wikipedia page. Um, 1973, the Lighthill Report. Uh, this guy, James Lighthill mathematician and he was commissioned um in the uk by parliament to like evaluate what ai is doing they were they've been researching ai in universities since the 50s and this report that he came out with in 1973 was he basically this is a quote in no part of the field have discoveries made so far produced the major impact promised which feels ex- almost like you could say that about every iteration of AI yeah. through time. For the past 70 years, there's always a point in the cycle where it's like, wait a minute. None of this is actually what you say it is. Yeah. So it was it was cool uh, to see that from 50 years ago. That was the report that came out. And it, le- it led to like a, a dark age, an AI winter. <laughs> Dang. This guy kind of stopped progress. He stopped, he stopped some progress. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you can't blame him too because it is the sobering reality that we're not ever as far as we think we are. Mm -hmm. If I had to just uh, BS my way through this analysis, I would say that a lot of AI and robotics companies want you to think that they're doing more shit than they're actually doing. Right. So that their stocks go up and then people give them more money basically. Right. And then people kind of realize like this stuff isn't as strong as you say it is. And what they say in response is, yes, but if you use it, then it will learn more. And it's like, well, yeah, you could do that with me too. Like, why don't you give me a couple books, man? Right. I think there's something to be said about that. Might be that might be the dumbest quote I've ever said in my <laughs> Give life. Give me some books. I'll I can, learn. I can learn a couple things too. <laughs> I just sound like a farmer from the 1930s. <laughs> well, so the Light Hill Report did stop a lot of funding for AI, but we don't know what that funding then went to. Yeah. So scientists and, and mathematicians in the 70s were getting money. They just kind of stopped, you know, UK AI pursuits for a while. Hmm. I'm a futurist uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's a term I looked up in freshman year of college. Okay. And it was the only philosophy that, like term that I know. So now I just okay. say so that's what futurist? I... What is it? Everything that's in the future is better than what we have now or what was in the past. So my thought is just keep going. and Because mm-hmm. here, here's my thought about it. It's not true that everything in the future is better than what we had in the past. Mm-hmm. But it's all we have, you know? Right. I'm not really one of those people that thinks time 
is like um circular or that it's all happening at once right i think for the most i mean i do think that is what it, what's happening i do think everything's just happening all at the same time um but we experience it linearly and if you say you don't experience it linearly, you're kind of a dickhead yeah. and an asshole <laughs> and you're up your own ass or you've actually meditated enough to where you've seen through the other side. Yeah. But most people that say that haven't. There's only a few monks and Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. <laughs> those are the only people who and can- And Matthew McConaughey in th- real life. Those are the only people who can respect time as a flat circle. Yeah. Oh, the rest of us have to wake up and eat lunch every day i like thinking of matthew mcconaughey like after the shooting that he's like yeah you know like i learned a lot from that movie actually he calls it a movie i learned a (laughs) lot (laughs) i learned a lot from that movie you know i do think time is you know i think times of like i actually came up with that line actually (laughs) i was (laughs) (laughs) do you think he's ever come up with a line before yeah i think so okay i think um there's a movie made in manhattan Mm -hmm. with jennifer lopez Mm mm-hmm and I think that's the movie where he um, he's eating M and M's, and he says, "I only eat the brown ones because I don't like the other colors because they're artificially colored." But chocolate's already brown, and I think he came up with that line. You, you can't write that. <laughs> I think that's just got to be in you. I think he invented that, <laughs> and I think he was really proud of it. And I bet the director was like, "That's not really that good." And he was like, "Come on, man, people are gonna want to use it." It's- I came up with all all right, all right, all right. <laughs> It, it's like in his like contract like this line will be in the movie i think there's a contract he has in every movie that he's like i get to create one thing and it does it's either like one line in the movie or he gets to create like one set dressing or one prop or he gets to choose one outfit for himself um but yeah basically i just believe that everything in the future is good so i don't really care if ai gets really smart or if it's like smarter than me or if it makes better comedy or better mm-hmm. art than i could make i don't really care because it's yeah. like i can't control it anyway so um from my perspective if ai started telling better jokes than you that's not interesting to me because you're a human and you're coming up with jokes uh organically from yeah. a human perspective your jokes are more insightful than ai yeah, and also I'm human, so until there's more AI than there are humans, then I'm gonna make I'm gonna make comedy for the majority. But once there's more like AI, I'll try to you know I'll do what I do in my regular comedy career, which is um, just be a hack and chill and just kind of adapt <laughs> to whatever is popular in the moment. So when it's like mostly AI, all my podcasts will be about, you know, whatever stuff that they're interested in. You're, you're yeah. going to give the people what they want. I'm going to give And the, if the people turn into robots, then hey. So be it, you the know. More the merrier. Yeah. I'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. Cal- calculations are weird. Am I right? I'll probably just end up being like a geek for the AI, you know, just like biting off chicken heads and like uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever they want me to do. I think you'd be great at that. I think I can make that funny. <laughs> I think I could make biting the heads off chickens funny again. They should write a vulture article about me. This comedian is bringing back <laughs> geeking. <laughs> Traditional, because you know how clowning is really popular in LA? Yeah, clowning is, so has like, had a big resurgence in LA. I think geeking is next. <laughs> Maybe.
it would be a more respectable uh, art yeah, form. Yeah, it's more avant-garde in my opinion, and and it requires more skill. It I takes think. more risk. Y- yeah, it takes more risk. You could fail for you and the chicken. You could fail at geeking. You can't really fail at clowning. Yeah, the chicken, <laughs> chicken could bite you. Um, you know. So yeah, that's my that's my thought on AI. Was it was there more to this article, or did I cut you short? No, no, not really. I just I thought it was good perspective. Because AI feels like such a thing of the moment, uh, it, it was good for me to look back and be like, oh, AI is uh, a term that we've used for 70 years, and we've kind of had the same emotional feeling about it. It's like scary, exciting, doesn't live up to the hype, it changes, it's, it's vague, we don't know. It, it's always evolving. I think that's why I like sci-fi, because they always... You know, people have said this before, but sci-fi kind of does influence uh, actual science and technology because mm-hmm. it's just human imagination thinking about what science is going to be in the future. And so, like, until we have a movie as good as T2, mm-hmm. we won't advance in AI. And that's my, like, that's my final statement about that. We need another Terminator mm-hmm. movie or a movie that's as good as T2. Yes. <clears throat> We need creatives to imagine a world that we all fall in love with and pursue. Yeah, true. Well, man, I think that's been good. This has been great. Do we have anything else? I don't have anything else. This is a great app. This is a good app. This is a great app. Um, Sweet. Next next week, we will watch a movie from 2008. Yeah, we've been talking about it. And uh, we'll have a bunch more news. We're going to have a lot. There's a lot more things going to happen. Yeah. All right. Cool. See you next time.